0: Market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once it would be nice to get a First Minister's
1: answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice.
0: The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman.
1: Hello, I'm Alistair Grant. I'm the political editor of The Scotsman. I'm joined by Conor Matchett, deputy political editor, and Alexander Brown, uh, our Westminster correspondent down in Westminster. Me and Conor are in the Edinburgh newsroom, just down the road from Butte House, where Nicol Sturgeon has... In, in a shock move, a move that took pretty much everyone in the, the Hollywood bubble by complete surprise, has announced her resignation. She will stand down as First Minister when a replacement is found. Uh, she says she'll stay on as an MSP. But as I say, this is something that came completely out of the blue, wasn't expected at all. I think when that um, press call landed in email inboxes this morning. Journalists across the land were, were scratching their heads about what this could be about, and there was a lot of speculation. But I don't think anyone quite saw this move coming. And Connor, you were in the room when Nicola Sturgeon was delivering that speech. What was the what was the atmosphere like? She seemed more emotional than she normally is.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's one of those historic moments, particularly in Scottish politics. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon is an era-defining politician in the in the sense that she's taken the independence movement along um, a long, uh, difficult road post the 2014 independence referendum defeat. Um, she's won more elections, I think, than any other SNP leader has in her time. Um, she's done that overwhelmingly every single time. She's only suffered really one minor setback in her time electorally in 2017. And even that, in historic terms, was a resounding victory. So, yeah, I mean, the room in Butte House, for those who don't know, it's a very small room. Um, and, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, we could see just out of the corner of the door, her walk down the stairs, um, head down. And I think by this point, it had already been reported by the BBC that she was resigning, and it was more interesting about how she was going to resign and why she was going to resign rather than what was actually going to come out. Um, Lots of broadcasters were there. And then, as well, she had a lot of her advisers there. Uh, The most senior civil servant in Scotland, John Paul Marks, permanent secretary, was there. And she was. It was... I think it was part. It was almost funereal. Is the best way of putting it. To be honest, you know, very morose. You know, and she came across as genuinely quite emotional. I think. I think. I think. Often, what people see on TV belies the kind of subtlety of body language. And she clearly was emotional delivering the speech. I think it was pretty obvious she'd been working on these words for months. Certainly, yeah. weeks, if not on paper, but in her head. Um, and you can tell as she went on, there were times she mentioned that she was at funeral yesterday of an SNP activist and um, that kind of crystallized the decision from 99 to 100 um, percent. Moments like that, moments where she talked about family in particular um, and also, you know, her, her constituents and I think her her general commitment to politics where she very much came across like she was, if she'd said much more, she might have broken down Um <laughs> She's obviously one of the best communicators in the country, and I think that came across in that speech. Uh, slight disappointment, none of the print media got a question, but uh, we've come to expect that sometimes, um, and the broadcasters didn't let us down with some tough questions as well. But definitely a moment in history, and I think she mentioned herself that she's the longest-serving first minister. She's the first female first minister. I think she's probably the preeminent politician in the country, in the UK, at the minute, and um, she is the biggest thorn in the side of UK Labour in terms of the next steps to the to a general election. Um, and she's probably the biggest blocker to anyone coming back from the from the wilderness politically in, in Scotland. It was a huge moment and you could tell there was the atmosphere of that this was seismic.
1: Yeah, I think whether you think of Nicola Sturgeon, we have been living through the, the Sturgeon era of Scottish politics. Scottish politics kind of revolves around her. It's hard to see... How the SNP will move on as a party from this. Just to win some of the, the recent background, I mean, obviously, the Scottish Government has been struggling with a number of issues well publicised. We've got problems with the, the health service, well, that's obviously a kind of UK wide problem. We've had the perception that um, education maybe hasn't been handled that well. We've had the teacher pay disputes. And in the last couple of weeks, and actually the last probably the last couple of months, we've had this ongoing row over gender. We've had the gender recognition legislation that was voted through Hollywood before Christmas, and the last couple of weeks we've had that row over trans prisoners in the case of Isla Bryson, the double rapist who was initially moved to Corrington Vale Women's Prison. Um, how much do you think that recent background played a part in this, Connor? And do you think... Uh, I, know, I noticed that Nicola Sturgeon was saying that uh, the kind of recent things that have happened recently didn't play into her thinking quite a lot that this is something that's been a kind of deepening thing for her. I think...
0: I think you probably have to take her on the face of that. To be honest, I think Nicholas Sturgeon's gone through worse than the last couple of months. I think the, the COVID pandemic in particular was a. I mean, everyone, everyone, you know, you at home, us in this room, Alex, you down in London, that was emotionally draining beyond belief, just to live through and report on. Never mind lead a country through. Um, I think as well that if you if you were going to say that Nicholas Sturgeon's resilience had run out, you probably suggest that it ran out after the Alex Salmond. Inquiry and all of the controversy around that, I do think there's questions to be answered by her, which she might well answer in five, ten years about why, in the last three, four weeks, as she said in in, in answer to questions, why it went from mm, I'm not sure to yes, I'm absolutely doing this, and um, that tallies with the Anna Bryson case, particularly the trans prisoners more, more more widely. It tallies with a an uptick in uh, controversy around the deposit return scheme. I think Nicola Sturgeon's built the sterner stuff than for that to have been the reason why she, she stepped down. I do wonder, no one asked her about it um, from memory. Um, I do wonder how much Jacinda Ardern, someone who I think Nicola Sturgeon very much looked at as a role model and as a fellow you know, strong, female politician in the difficult, polarized world, um, you know, Jacinda Ardern's decision to step down as prime minister at the height of her power, I wonder if that presented the FM with a route that was not otherwise there. Um, I think the fundamental fact of the matter, though, is that if you look at Hollywood in the last few weeks, if you look at, and Alex might come on to it later, if you look at what's going down on in Westminster in terms of the SNP group, it has been brutal for the last few months. I don't think, I think that certainly since the Gender Recognition Reform Act was in Parliament, going through stage one, stage two, stage three, I've never known a more vicious, you know, viscerally angry mm. political sphere than the one that we existed in. And she said herself, she's a human being. It will have had an impact. I, I doubt it was the main reason.
1: And Alex, obviously, this will have a huge impact for the wider independence movement. We've obviously got this special SNP conference that's being held in just a few weeks, actually, that, It's kind of an era defining conference for the SNP, this internal debate about independence strategy. Nicola Sturgeon wants to fight the next general election as a de facto independence referendum. There's loads of people in the SNP who don't see that as the best route forward. I think today she was saying at Butte House that her decision to step down will leave the SNP open to have a proper debate about that and to choose what it thinks is the best route forward. How do you think her resignation will affect? Uh, both the party but also the wider independence movement so i think it's kind of a mixed blessing
2: for stephen flynn in one sense it stops a westminster leadership that do not support the fact the referendum plan even though they've said they do but privately it's been very clear they don't that's partly why they took the role in the first place they're going to have they won't have to keep defending something they don't really believe in that will make it a bit easier because there can now be a wider conversation. It will be easier to make critique and kind of put forward a case that they believe is superior. But on the other hand, when it comes to actual independence, I think this is a, an absolute hammer blow for the SNP. When you speak to people just in Scotland or when you speak to SNP MPs, there is, if not enough universally like an agreement, there is a respect Uh, and an adoration for Nicola Sturgeon and the way that she communicates. She is, if nothing else, a brilliant communicator who, I mean, let's be forget, did not want to stay on this long. I mean, the pandemic kind of kept her here and she has wanted to go, but a huge reason why she hasn't, besides, you know, independence generally, is there aren't really many strong contenders. And I was speaking to SNP MPs this morning who were saying, you know, this is disastrous. I mean, it's too early to say anything, really, but the talent pool... It's very, very shallow. I mean, one suggested to me that actually the only way they could really get a replacement good enough is to widen it to include MPs. But they said, obviously, we can't do that. I don't think we should, but it's just there are no good options. So I think it's going to be really, really damaging. You're not going to have someone with that name recognition. And I know the First Minister made the case, you know, people have made up their mind about me, so maybe someone else can go out there and reach across that political divide. But at least internally... There is no one in the SNP uh, that, you know, it's, it's people in his <laughs> own party think they can do that. They can reach across that divide. So it's, it's a boost to Stephen Finney and will make the SNP group a bit freer. They will now have an investment in who comes next and can, are free to kind of advocate their own approach to independence. But for independence as a whole, I mean, I don't know about you guys. This feels like a huge delay, if not like a nail in the coffin. I, I don't think the referendum is going to
0: happen for a very, very long time. You mentioned, Alex, about an MP suggesting that they might have to get an MP forward to, to, to run for the leadership. The obvious person um, in Westminster, at least, who has eyes on that prize, if you like, certainly has in the past, is Joanna Cherry. Is there any inkling that, you know, it's that sort of wing of the SNP in Westminster that was rather a decision was broader than just the MSP group?
2: I can say categorically the person who thought they wanted they should change the rules is not on the the wing of Joanna Cherry. I think they would probably compromise changing the rules, if possible, to stop that happening. Uh, So, so no. But I mean, that would be very interesting. And and I know that she's maybe had an inkling about going back before. So, I mean, what was it? She was a couple of votes out previously. Mm -hmm.
1: And just in, we'll come on to runners and riders in a little bit, but just to go back to this independence conference uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, next month, I think it's March 20th. Uh, Connor, obviously Nicola Sturgeon's position or what she was saying at that House press conference was that this would leave the SNP open to kind of forge a route forward without, you know, any questions about what it would mean for her leadership if they don't go down the de facto referendum route. Do you think that is true? Do you think we now have an opening to have a proper debate about this in a way that might have been more difficult if you had the First Minister and the party leader explicitly backing one option. I thought what was
0: most interesting about that is that Nicola Sturgeon is saying this after that has already started. So Stuart MacDonald, a former senior frontbencher of of the Westminster group, obviously came out with that paper just last week. I think it feels like a long time ago, but he came out with that paper last week. Um, we did an interview with him on the Steamy, which people could go and download if, if they want to listen to his thought process. But that was the start of the wider conversation. And what was interesting was that his, you know, his, his intervention, if you like, came back with loyalists to Nicola Sturgeon going, you know, I respect you, but you're wrong. Now, I wonder how much easier that could be for the party going forward for other people who are, you know, much, much more... You know, on the front benches, you know, much more uh, high profile to come forward and, and say, do you know what, we need to, to hit the brakes. I do think, and a few folk have said this to me in, in, in private, is that the SNP leadership, you know, presumably someone like Nicola Sturgeon, John Swinney, Peter Morrill, others who are at the top of the SNP, were beginning to look for a bridge out of what Nicola Sturgeon put forward following the announcement she was going to go to the Supreme Court last year. I think at every step since that bombshell parliamentary um, intervention in June or whatever it was, May last year, um, they were going to go to the Supreme Court. The leadership has kind of distanced themselves a little bit further from from de facto. And I think you were talking to a a senior SNP source just a bit earlier today. You know, there's a possibility that this special conference is rather than used to decide on de facto is instead used as a coronation almost of the new SNP leader and the new first minister and that they push that decision to september i mean alex you can can, can correct me if i'm wrong but there isn't going to be a general election this year it's unlikely to happen until may next year at the very earliest there isn't a hollywood election until 2026 the 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 party have time to Mm. think about this And I think that Nicola Sturgeon is right um, in that part of the problem within the SNP, um, and many of her opponents will say this, is that what Sturgeon says goes, and that has been often characterised as controlled freakery, as a degree of you know desperation to not look disunited. But at the same time, the SNP has kind of lost that ability to challenge itself from within. Her resignation ahead of that special conference definitely offers a, a route out. I still think ultimately the SNP is full of those members who are very keen for an independence result of some sort soon. I do wonder as well how much Nicola, going back to what you asked me right at the start, do you wonder how much Nicola Sturgeon you know, leaving now avoids the ignominy of a defeat as a de facto
1: right. referendum at the next at the next election? Certainly, an MP I spoke to quite recently about it said there was kind of a growing discontent with that de facto referendum plan. I think we would fully expect more people to have spoken out against it. They probably still will. Uh, obviously, various SNP branches will be putting forward their own ideas at that conference. I wanted to move on to runners and riders. Obviously, if Nicola Sturgeon is standing down, the question immediately arises as to who's going to replace her. And I think one of the problems the SNP has um, is that there isn't an obvious successor. I think if you look at Uh, The party as a whole, there's no one really waiting in the wings, waiting to grab the political spotlight, or at least that's the perception. I think if you look at polling, there's a poll done not that long ago, actually, uh, looking at potential successors. And I think Kate Forbes, the the finance secretary who's currently on maternity leave, came out top on that, but she only had 7% of uh, respondents choosing her. I think something like 69% just didn't know. So I think that really plays into the problem the SNP might have. On the other hand, I think Nicola Sturgeon's decision to stand down now, when you're a few years out from a Holyrood election, gives the party time to have that conversation. But just in terms of throwing some names around, I mean, Alex, who, who do you who do you see as potential candidates to take over? I mean, it's you know, it's
2: Kate Forbes, it's Hamzeh Seth, John Sweeney, and Angus Robertson would be the just. <laughs> The, I say the obvious ones, but none of them have a real strong chance. And they all have you know, their own flaws. I mean, Kate Forbes, good communicator. I spoke to one conservative about her uh, literally I mean, minutes after the news break about Sturgeon. And they said they she would be the best bet because she's less toxic. She would soften on gender recognition reform. Um, but it's still kind of quite popular. They are, She is who they would be scared of. But, you know, with some of her faith and the church she's a member of, I think that would be a very difficult for some s members to swallow. You know, you don't have to believe something or believe, you know, the same thing shared by a whole another group for its uh, for, for their beliefs to tarnish you. The association is enough of a problem. So, you know, it's one of those things where we're all going to be asked now and all have to write and work out who would be best. But much like the independents, if it's not de facto, then what? There isn't really an obvious or easy answer to this. Um other than Joanna Cherry.
0: I think the, uh, it's worth mentioning about Kate Forbes that she's, I think you're right, Alex, I think she's going to, she would be someone who I think would switch the SNP kind of back to where it was in 2014 under Alex Salmon being this kind of broad church that was kind of socially slightly more small C conservative and definitely more economically laissez-faire than, than the SNP is at the minute. Problem with that is that, you know, for all of Alex Hammond's you know, you know, success electorally, he didn't win an, an independence referendum on the back of that that approach. And um, the other name that's been thrown around that we haven't mentioned is the deputy leader of the SNP, Keith Brown. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a thin, it's a shallow pond, isn't it?
1: I think Kate, Kate Forbes definitely seems like a candidate that most people bring up when you talk about this. I mean, she's someone that seems as a great communicator. Um, she impressed people hugely when she took over as finance secretary in the aftermath of Derek Mackay standing down in disgrace in the back of text messages and sent to a, a 16 year old boy I think she was given very short notice and had to stand up in Hollywood and deliver the Scottish budget one of the flagship events of the year um, and, and impressed people of how she went about it she's she's young she's uh, someone who's got her whole political career ahead of her um, it's not. Previously, it wasn't clear if this was something that she wanted herself, but I think there has been more suggestion in recent weeks that perhaps she is thinking about her her kind of long term political future. I think the problem with someone like John Swinney is that uh, you know he is seen as a safe pair of hands in the SNP. He's very well liked, well trusted, uh, very competent, but he's also and I don't mean this in a harsh way if he happens to ever listen to this he's yesterday's man. You know he's been there before. He's someone who has been around. He's not seen as the future of the SNP. Kate Forbes has that to her advantage. Although, like you say, Alex, she's obviously someone of a deep religious faith. She's seen as having potentially socially conservative views on some issues. Uh, that could be a problem within the modern SNP, certainly within the modern uh, SNP activists group uh, who are quite progressive in social issues. I think Hamza Yusuf... Again, someone who was seen as impressive, but I think has maybe suffered a little bit in the health secretary role. Um, Partly through no fault of his own, the health service is going through uh, wider issues across the UK and and the world in the aftermath of the pandemic. But maybe the way he's handled that hasn't impressed some people. It's not clear what impact that would have on him. Uh, Angus Robertson, definitely another name that I know you mentioned, someone to look out for, constitution secretary, uh, potentially a, a key role in and of itself. Um, again, it's not clear if he wants this. Uh, and Keith Brown, I'm just not sure he's a high enough profile figure yeah. to take on a role like this. I mean, I think one of the things to say is that whenever you have uh, a leadership role that comes up and everyone kind of scratches their head and thinks, you know, who could possibly fill that? Someone does end up filling it, obviously. And in retrospect, people think, well, of course, they were always the the candidate that was the most obvious one. Or Even if it takes people by surprise, it turns out that they were, you know, well fitted within the party, so someone will arise, someone will come up, but it's not—it's certainly not immediately obvious.
0: What about just to briefly throw a complete cat among the pigeons? You know, we, we we've mentioned a lot of people just then who are Sturgeonites, who are represent arguably even <coughs> SNP. Never mind Nicola Sturgeon's SNP. Um, what about, you know we we could talk about dark horses in the SNP younger very ambitious people. I'm thinking, you know, individuals like Neil Gray, who's a current um culture minister and Mary McAllen. Mary McCallan, who is a former special advisor, very experienced in, in government. Um Jenny Gilruth, current transport minister who's taken on a very difficult role um, and and relatively well with it given the ferries debacle. And um, Mary Goujon, very comp- seen as very competent within, within within government. There is arguably the role has come too soon for some of them. But then again, Nick Sturgeon lasted nearly nine years as First Minister. If they don't take the advantage of her standing down unexpectedly, yeah. when, will they ever get another chance?
1: I think it's, it's such a key time for the party that I'd be surprised if they went down the route of choosing someone uh, who is relatively inexperienced and young just because it is a risk if someone's not tested at a cabinet level. Uh, but like you say, leadership leadership contests can sometimes take on a life of their own and a logic of their own uh, and... It's quite hard to predict. I think, finally, one of the things we should talk about is Nicola Sturgeon's legacy. She's obviously Scotland's longest-serving first minister, first female first minister, someone who's dominated Scottish politics for years now, probably, well, in fact, definitely one of the biggest figures of the devolution era. I think only Alex Salmond could claim to be uh, of her stature when it comes to the impact they've had on Scottish politics. Um, I remember when I did a piece just before, uh, I think it was last year, actually last summer, when we were kind of writing about Nicola Sturgeon's legacy, um, and those close to her pointed to things like the rollout, the expansion of free childcare, they pointed to the rollout of uh, devolved benefits in Scotland, things like the Scottish child payment, efforts to combat child poverty, uh, they pointed to her communication during the pandemic, which is obviously widely praised. They even pointed to things like the Scottish Government's record on climate, just on the kind of aftermath of COP 26 and all the debate we had around that. But I just wondered what you guys thought, maybe Alex first, well, what do you think will be Nicola Sturgeon's legacy?
2: So I think as with all these things, I think it's a bit complicated but I think you have to, if you look at it even from a aggressive point of view there's been longevity but has there been real achievement and I know that I know it's very cruel and easy to say that you know from the sidelines and we haven't been in it and she you know led Scotland through the pandemic uh which I think seems to have broadly gone down quite well but failed on the attainment gap failed on improving education the NHS is still a shambles waiting times are still disastrous and I don't think not having strike action is the sign that which you know (laughs) is the point of reference you made during her speech a sign that things are going well independence is no closer the uh uk government had to intervene on gender recognition reform which rightly or wrongly you know it's the first time that the scottish government hasn't actually been able to enact this policy and there were some who thought i mean myself included who thought maybe that would make the arguments for independence stronger because you go you're intervened on this but didn't win a majority under Boris Johnson with the backdrop of Boris Johnson and Brexit, could not win an SP majority. And I know you know it's it's harder in that system, but you know, Alex Salmond managed to win one. So I think a great talker and plainly well-intentioned, but across ferries and everything else, there was not an insignificant amount of scandal. And there is not, I would say, a definitive list of achievements that you can go, well. You know, if you think of, even think about like Gordon Brown and like Tony Blair, like New Labour, that speech by Gordon Brown that he gave, I think after uh, you know a, a Labour conference where he's listing and it always gets does rounds on Twitter, where he's listing all of the achievements. I don't think there are that many things that you can go. These were the key goals for Nicola Sturgeon, and she has achieved them. So I think it will always be a uh, what could have been. I'm mean, a great communicator, but didn't deliver on the things she was saying.
0: I think, I think it's one of two things. I think she'll either be known as the nearly woman or should, someone who was the right person at the wrong time for the SNP. Now, that's slightly... I'll, I'll expand on that a bit more. But, you know, I think... That's, what Alex Salmon's just talking about, like, achievements. Alex Salmon's big achievement under... I uh, said while he was First Minister, was just securing that referendum. That was his big achievement. It's very hard for Nicola Sturgeon to follow that without achieving independence. Now, achieving independence, I would argue, is a massively more difficult thing to manage than simply getting the agreement of David Cameron, who showed a lack of judgment on allowing referendums to go ahead um, multiple times. Um, I think if if Nicola Sturgeon had been First Minister when Alex Salmond was First Minister, I'm not suggesting that she could have necessarily battered the, the, the UK government into that scenario of, 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 of allowing a referendum. But I think her communication skills would probably potentially just nudge that 45% over 50%. We might be talking about, in, about an independent Scotland. She's got, she's got that ability. Um, and I think a lot of people were turned off by Alex Salmond in 2014. Um, and you can tell by the album party and his, his complete failure. And um, to make them into a, a political force that um, he has an image problem. And I think he did then as well. I think fundamentally, though, Alex is right. I mean, I think there's a long list of nearly successes. You know, the attainment gap, you know, it's, it's moved from eliminate to substantially eliminate. And yes, there's been progress, but not enough. The Scottish child payment, Social Security in Scotland. Yes, there's been progress, but arguably not enough. The NHS, definitely since covid it's gone backwards. The police, it's in desperate state. Um, and there are there are mitigating factors for her. You know, the UK government in that period of time has cut budgets. So that's had a direct knock-on to the Scottish government's ability to pay for the things on top of their, you know, additional <laughs> social security budget, which is massive and takes away much of that year-on-year increase. Um, but I think she will probably be remembered mostly for being almost, the person who got Scotland independence. And secondly, for COVID, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of normal Scots, above and beyond the political commentariat, will remember Nicola Sturgeon for being probably the most sane leader in the UK during COVID-19 and certainly coming across and showing real leadership throughout that process. And, you know, I, I say this regularly, she, she demonstrated an ability to take nonsense and take questioning like no other politicians in that period. She spoke to journalists three or four, or five times a week, sometimes for months on end. She deserves credit for that. I think that's how most people remember her.
1: Yeah, I think I think oh sorry, on your board.
2: I think it's also worth noting just just for balance. Um in case we're being slightly unfair, there is probably something to be said for gradual you know, improvement, right? Like it's not governing is not easy. And if you look at a UK government that has made, you know, decisions which have made, you know, such as Brexit, which made the lives of its citizens, you know, palpably worse, not delivering everything you want, but slightly improving them, that's better than most politicians, maybe. So, I mean, there is there is something to be valued in that, just so we're not being completely.
1: Uh, uh. I think uh, I mean, I think she will be remembered for our uh, communication during the COVID crisis. I think it wasn't to be sniffed at, the number of press conferences she did. She sat through, you know, endless lists of journalist questions. It was exhausting <laughs> to be a journalist at that time, let alone That's first right. minister. Um, and I think her communication skills are, uh, you know, rightly praised. Um, I think you're right, she'll also be remembered as someone who did have appeal probably across political device in, to the extent that I think even people who disagree with independence um, respected Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister, that obviously doesn't mean everyone, I just mean in terms of someone who managed to have a relatively broad appeal at a time of massive constitutional divisions in Scotland that just kind of govern everything to do with Scottish politics. I think a harsh analysis of it might be that, you know, the SNP exists to push forward the cause of Scottish independence. That's the entire reason for the SNP, uh, that's their whole reason for existing. And did Nicola Sturgeon really manage to shift the dial on independence? Probably not. And ultimately, I think that was a failure on her part. Perhaps that failure was due to extraneous circumstances, you know, the aftermath of the 2014 referendum, the extraordinary political times in which we live. But ultimately, she did she did fail to do that. And I think uh, there'll be many of her internal critics that point to that.
0: I think well, just one last point, Alistair, on that that's probably fair is that she also had to take the SNP through, in recent years, through a completely different change of approach to A, devolution, and B, democracy. Um, I don't think there's many politicians that would have succeeded in getting a referendum out at the hands of Boris Johnson. Um, one of the things that people will talk about, I think, in history that is understated now, is that Theresa May arguably saved the union um, by coming up with the Now Is Not The Timeline and every other prime minister has used it, stuck by it, and the SNP has got stuck. Yeah. And I think you know Nicola Sturgeon could not find a way around that. I think you're probably right. That's that's going to be her legacy among independent supporters. Any final thoughts, Alex? You looked like you wanted to say something.
2: I, I mean, she did win loads of elections, though. I mean, that is probably worth. I feel like we haven't mentioned the fact she's just a relentless winner. Um, but winning a lot is good. I suppose the question is, what have you done with it? I mean, you've completely minimalised the, the Scottish Conservative Party. They're probably braced for a wipeout. But I suppose the one message I would take of confidence if I was an SNP member or, you know, would-be candidate is Anna Sawar was not especially loved in Scotland and has kind of connected with people very quickly in a way, to lift the party up. So there's no reason that whoever replaces her can't do that and be more successful than I think all of us had perhaps suspected.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is worth saying that, you know, particularly that 2015 election win, uh, I, looking back, people just say that the SNP was riding on the, the kind of coattails of the referendum and, you know, people who had backed yes were now backing them. But still, the, the electoral success they've had is extraordinary. and No one can take that away from them. It is, they just dominate Scottish politics in a way that would have been unthinkable a couple of decades ago but i think that's probably all we've got time for um but do visit scotsman.com for the latest analysis news it'll be constantly updated for the day it's obviously a huge day for scottish politics and uh thank you very much for listening and thank you alex and thank you connor